Hi, this is JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the show. I am your host, JP Mack. And if you are watching this on Rumble or on Spotify, you may notice that the headphones are back, or at least headphones are back, not the same ones, but the old ones crapped out, and so I had to replace them. So hopefully if you're listening to this on Spotify or some other uh, podcast provider, uh, the sound quality is a little bit better. Uh, shouldn't make too much of a difference for the video quality. But anyhow, that the headphones are back, so uh, make of that what you will. So moving on to more interesting uh, things. We have in the news, of course, uh, still is the, um, well, the indictment of uh, President Trump. Former President Trump, and also the uh, plea deal we have with Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden uh, was offered a deal, many call it a sweetheart deal, by the DOJ. Many have suggested that anybody else in a similar situation would not have been giving, given such a deal. Um, basically, Hunter Biden, as long as he um, goes to his program or whatever, keeps his nose clean, is not going to see any jail time, at least according to the terms that have been presented in the news. And so that is a little bit of a bummer, uh, mainly because that still leaves open the entire question of well, what's going to happen with the rest of his dealings vis-a-vis uh, -vis uh, with his father, uh, Joe Biden? His father, of course, has been accused of taking bribes from various overseas entities, not the least of which uh, the Ukrainians, um, for his... Uh, Actions with regards to Burisma, his son's company. Of course, his son's company, or the company that he was in for a while, uh, Burisma, their business was uh, <clears throat> uh, nat natural gas drilling and exploration in Ukraine. And so it said that some of Biden's policies or Obama's policies uh, back when Obama was president helped smooth the way for this um, natural gas drilling and exploration. And then, of course, famously, we had the quid pro quo or the quid pro Joe, as some of us like to call it, where he went to the Council of Foreign Relations and bragged about uh, how he got this prosecutor, uh, Shokin, uh, fired from investigating his uh, son's company, Burisma. 
And so he said, uh, basically what he said is, if you don't uh, fire this guy um, who is investigating Burisma, uh, we are going to withhold this, uh, these loan guarantees to your country. And so uh, he said, you know, I'm leaving in six hours, and if I don't hear from you back, you're not getting the loan. And then, of course, um, the Ukrainians, I guess, had a change of heart and they fired this prosecutor that Biden wanted uh, fired. Now, of course, none of this could have been done without the express consent of then President Obama. And so when we talk about everything that's going on with Biden today, uh, we're really talking about uh, things that President Obama did while he was president. And then also, um, these past few weeks, uh, we've also had in the news the indictment, second indictment, uh, former President Donald Trump. He was indicted um, uh, over his, basically over his documents, whether or not he could have the documents and whether or not he uh, he's accused of obstructing justice. Now, of course, there should have been no justice to obstruct for him to obstruct because there never should have been any uh, criminal investigation for him to allegedly obstruct. And so that's really the heart of the matter. So we have a current president uh, basically using the power of law enforcement, of the DOJ, to take out his chief rival for the presidency in 2024. And that's where we are today. And then, of course, um, there is the contrast between what is going on with Trump, how they're using uh, heavy-handed tactics with regards to Trump, and then having a very light touch when it comes to uh, Hunter Biden and treating that. And of course, all of their basically have their heads in the sand or looking the other way when it comes to the corruption allegations that seemingly grow by the day against uh, not just Hunter, but President Biden and other members of the Biden family. And so there is this contrast. Um, you've already heard a lot about it, including from me. Um, and you will hear more about it, to be honest, from me. But let's take a uh, kind of a different uh, approach to this. And so last week I suggested that it may be time to impeach President Biden based upon um, what he's done, what his corruption allegations. Um, but there are other things that you could impeach him for. Um, let's see. Uh, there's other articles of impeachment just filed um, by uh, Representative Bobart. And she, uh, she wants to impeach him over his handling over the sudden, uh, over the southern border and his 
uh, negligence in that case. And certainly there's a case to be made to that. Um, I believe that the strongest case, of course, for Biden's impeachment is uh, to go after him for the corruption. And I think we've have there's enough evidence out there already, certainly more evidence than the Democrats had, uh, more cause than the Democrats had a few years ago when they not once but twice uh, impeached President Trump. I think there's uh, objectively more cause for impeachment this time around. Um, but having said that, um, and having and being, you know, officially an advocate for the impeachment of President Biden, um, I do have to acknowledge, I think we should acknowledge that as attractive as impeaching President Biden might be, as well as deserved as it might be, a better option strategically, for now at least, might be to start with his power base. Going after Biden's underlings not only deals with the problems head-on, but may also be more achievable. Secretary Mayorkas is one such person, and increasingly Merrick Garland is another. We should support uh, Speaker McCarthy in any effort to impeach Merrick Garland. And so that leads me to this piece that appears uh, from One American News. And this is fairly new, I guess, where it says, uh, McCarthy, uh, impeachment inquiry of Merrick Garland imminent if whistleblower claims are true. And, of course, there are whistleblower claims uh, basically stating that uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, nixed some of the um, the indictments or suggested indictments by uh, people who were investigating uh, Hunter Biden and and also uh, his father, President Biden. And so there's uh, been a couple whistleblowers on the subject. And they said that Garland, basically, or, or under the direction of Garland, um, a more uh, stringent or tougher indictment or more indictments of Hunter um, that should have happened uh, were interfered with. Now, uh, Garland maintains, and he's on record as saying, he basically let the investigation into uh, Hunter uh, be its own thing and be completely independent, but there's a lot to suggest that maybe that was not true. And I believe that's what this article in One America News is uh, showing. And so again, we have this article that appears in OAN, One America News, uh, McCarthy impeachment inquiry of Merrick Garland imminent if whistleblower claims are true. And this one's written by OAN's Brooke Mallory. And it was posted 
on June 25th, which happens to be today. So this is all new stuff. You will surely be hearing more about it um, during the rest of the week. So um, it goes on to say, um, if whistleblower allegations that U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware, David Weiss, wanted to appoint a special counsel in the Department of Justice's Hunter Biden probe are true. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said on Sunday that it would call for an immediate impeachment inquiry into Attorney General Merrick Garland. <clears throat> and says, quote, We need to get the to the facts, and that includes reconciling these clear disparities. U.S. Attorney David Weiss must provide answers to the House Judiciary Committee, says McCarthy, Republican California, asserted. And it goes on uh, to give a tweet that uh, Kevin McCarthy tweeted, um, saying just that, um, you know, if the whistleblower's allegations are true, this will be a significant part of a larger impeachment inquiry into... Uh, show more. Okay, so we're going into the um, in the tweet here. Okay, so forgive me for this. Um, told you never never following links when you don't know where they're they're going to. Um, it says if the whistleblower's allegations are true. This will be a significant part of a larger impeachment inquiry into Mar Merrick Garland's weaponization of DOJ. And so what he's speaking about is the uh, House is investigating. They have this investigation into the, we the weaponization of the government. And of particular in uh, interest is uh, the weaponization of the DOJ. And also the IRS and probably the CIA too, but mainly of the DOJ and the FBI, which of course is under the um, under the DOJ. And so, uh, and it's quoting this tweet. This comes from Mark D. Little, Nixon Peabody LLP. I guess that's a law firm. And basically what it says is, in an October 7th, 2022 meeting at the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office, U.S. Attorney David Weiss told six witnesses he did not have the authority to charge in other districts that had thus requested special counsel status. Those six witnesses include Baltimore FBI Special Agent and it goes on to name the, the witnesses. Um, <clears throat> and so this is the basis of the whistleblower allegation, which, if uh, are true, Kevin McCarthy says he's going to pursue an inquiry. So hopefully, and this is really the first time we've heard any talk of impeachment that has been endorsed by Speaker McCarthy. Um, we've had Lauren Boebert um, file some articles of impeachment, uh, particularly against the president with regards to the southern border 
and somebody else, I forget who it was, uh, also uh, filed articles of impeachment. And what I've been saying is that, I mean, this is all well and good, but if you're going to, if we're going to do it, if we're going to impeach the president, um, I, I want to see like some sort of endorsement, uh, some sort of blessing by Speaker McCarthy on this to know that it's for real. I also want to see uh, a committee appointed into any impeachment effort so that, because, um, you know, uh, any member of Congress can uh, write articles of impeachment and and put that through, of course. You know, Maxine Waters was famous for, you know, her, you know, impeach 45 drive and a number of Democrats when Trump was still president, had this idea of impeaching Donald Trump under, of course, specious, you know, ridiculous, really, uh, charges. And even the ones, when they finally went through and impeached President Trump, uh, the allegations were specious. And that's, you know, the perfect phone call for the first impeachment. And the second uh, one was uh, trying to accuse him of some part in a January 6th plot which, of course, none of those impeachments uh, succeeded. And, of course, the problem with any impeachment is you have to get 60 votes in the Senate in order to actually, for that impeachment to go through and for the president to be basically fired from his job. And so, if you're going to do it, and I would say it's probably worth doing um other people will argue other uh uh, people on on the right and other conservative voices will will argue differently and you know i i respect that but i think it's worth it because first of all the democrats did it they never really had a chance they didn't have a case they could make um but besides that um, the, the Republicans need to understand that they're, they're fighting a different kind of battle now, um, that they, they have to be ready to do some of the things that their opponents have been doing, um, namely the Democrats. And one of those things is impeachment. But if you're going to do it, you have to have... A solid case. And I think there's a much more solid case, as I said, to be made about uh, President Biden's corruption and his bribery. Now, of course, bribery is specifically mentioned in the Articles of Impeachment uh, when the, the Constitution talks about the Articles of Impeachment. You know, it's high crimes, misdemeanors, and bribery. And I think there's evidence to that point. And so I would like to see a serious effort be made. And I don't, I just don't want uh, just a couple paragraphs on the impeachment. I want them to step-by-step step lay out basically an indictment of President Biden on uh, conspiracy and bribery charges and corruption charges. Um, so I want to see a, a serious effort and I think we'll know it's serious again 
if like here, uh, it has the blessing uh, of Kevin McCarthy, the um, Speaker of the House. And so anyway, the article goes on to say uh, his retweet contained a story from Washington Examiner Chief Correspondent Brian Byron York, who stated that Shapley claimed Weiss wanted charges launched against Biden in Washington, D.C. Furthermore, York cited Shapley's defense team argued that during a meeting in Weiss's office on October 7, 2022, six witnesses heard him say that he did not have the authority to charge in other districts and has thus requested special counsel status. And I think, uh, given my limited knowledge of the special counsel statute, um, I would defer to others' expertise, but their expertise seems to agree that, yeah, a, in this case, a special um, counsel was warranted and it was never given. And so this is what Weiss was, was talking about here. Um, it says, and of course, you know, it's, it goes on to say, however, Garland denied on the same day that Weiss ever urged him to appoint a special counsel on the issue. Quote, I don't know how it would be possible for anybody to block him from bringing a prosecution given that he has this authority. He was never told no. I'm saying he was given complete authority to make all decisions on his own, he continued. That's Garland saying this. The only person with authority to make somebody a special counsel or refuse to make somebody a special counsel is the Attorney General. Mr. Weiss never made that request to me. So obviously we have two mutually exclusive claims here. Now, I would have to say that Merrick Garland does not exactly have a sterile, stellar reputation with truthfulness. He has a little bit of a problem with the truth and certainly doesn't want to do anything against the wishes of his boss. Basically, he's going to do the bidding of his betters. Um, and that includes Joe Biden, but probably the people who uh, pull the strings behind the scenes for for President Biden. Um, so the, you have two mutually exclusive claims here. Now, uh, McCarthy is, is saying that if it, if the one side can be proven to be true, that that would, well, first of all, that would say that Merrick Garland lied under oath because he said all this under oath to Congress. So he lied to Congress. So that would be probably the main uh, charge in the articles of, of impeachment, any articles of impeachment against Merrick Garland. And so, let's see, Wills. Um, lastly, Garland added that, quote, he would support Mr. Weiss explaining or testifying on these matters when he deems appropriate. Well, of course he was, because he's not really going to have a choice, will he? Um, the claims come after the Justice Department recently reached a plea agreement with Hunter Biden, who would 
plead guilty to two counts of, quote, willful failure to pay federal income tax and join a pretrial diversion program for a handgun crime. Hunter Biden will not face any prison time as a result of the agreement. That is, of course, if he basically follows the terms of the agreement, of course. Um, many Republicans who have waited to see proper justice served in court regarding Hunter Biden and his family's alleged crimes and cover-ups have expressed grievances online and how they felt left down. And so we've heard that and it's been predicted here and elsewhere. Basically, this is exactly what would happen they, the DOJ would find a way to charge Hunter with the bare minimum charges, um, something of tax and something with the gun, because they had to do something with the gun, because they had him, after all, pictures of him brandishing the gun on, you know, his uh, laptop, you know, the so-called laptop from hell. And so, there's uh, evidence that he had this gun, and there's evidence, of course, that he lied about not being on addicted to drugs in order to get the permit for the gun. So he, he lied there, and so they had to do something about it. Um, of course, not for nothing, other people have been convicted for doing that same thing, and they have spent time in jail for doing that same ex- exact thing. And, of course, there's plenty of people who've been sent to jail for criminal violations of uh, tax evasion. So, there are people, so obviously, he's not getting off as hard as others uh, accused of similar crimes, either with the taxes or with the gun. There's people probably, I would guess, in jail right now, as we speak, who... Uh, were found guilty of the same exact crimes that Hunter will be charged with. And, but everybody, you know, saw this coming um, a miles away. And that is, of course, more evidence that we lived in a two-tiered justice system. And we never really thought, um, because the... Uh, Mayor Garland works for the president. He doesn't want to lose his job. Uh, he's not going to do anything to upset the president. And so he's not going to do anything against the president's wishes. And so there's a lot of evidence um, this year being the most recent stuff saying that Weiss wanted to appoint a special counsel because she couldn't charge outside of Delaware, uh, his district in Delaware. And so that is basically where we're at now with uh, regards to this particular story, this particular aspect of the story. It seems like every week there's another, you know, like peeling back the layers of onion of an onion, you know, the more layers you peel back, the more it stinks. And so, that uh, seems to be holding true here. So, this news that uh, McCarthy is even 
seriously contemplating impeaching Merrick Garland is a huge step forward. And as I mentioned before, um, as probably a better strategic move on his part. And of course, the big problem is, as I mentioned, you for in order for a impeachment to succeed 100%, you have to get uh, 60 senators to vote for the impeachment to find the president guilty or whoever guilty. It's probably not going to happen if you impeach President Biden, um, no matter how much incontrovertible evidence we have against President, uh, probably, there's probably not enough uh, honest, non-corrupt Democrat senators to go along with it. And so, but on the other hand, um, the American people, generally speaking, um, understand unfair treatment when they see it. And they see how the DOJ under Merrick Garland is treating former President Trump versus how they're, president, uh, they're treating uh, President Biden and his son. And they can see that there's two different standards of justice, and they don't like that. And so I think it might be easier just as a practical matter for a to conduct a successful um, impeachment of one of Biden's underlings. And that could be Alejandro Mayorkas, or it could be Merrick Garland. Um, and also, by particularly when you impeach Merrick Garland, um, and if you can do it successfully in particular, of, of course, you know, that is one of the main people who is pr basically, at this point, propping up the Biden regime. There's a lot of evidence that Garland and his DOJ have uh, slow-walked not just the Hunter Biden case, but also a lot of other cases regarding uh, Biden corruption, Biden family corruption, and bribery. And supposedly they've ignored evidence and suppressed evidence. And there's uh, other whistleblowers from the IRS. There's one who, who said that uh, Hunter Biden's case has been uh, treated completely differently than other similar cases and that normally uh, some of the uh, investigative steps that they would have taken like getting different search warrants that would have happened with anybody else did not happen we were not allowed in the case of Hunter Biden and so you you have that you have a lot you have a whole uh, pattern of corruption and cover-up when it comes to uh, what we sometimes call, refer to as the Biden crime family. And so it's good that um, to hear um, serious noise about the impeachment of Merrick Garland. And so we'll see that if that happens again, um, as much as most conservatives, most Republicans believe that President Biden richly deserves to be impeached. And of course, he's 
there's much more evidence I, I would su submit to you to support the impeachment of this president than the last president. And the last president, of course, was impeached twice by Democrat-led Congress. And so now this Congress has at least two years. And I think it would be a failure if they don't uh, impeach at least one uh, player of the Biden regime, either Biden himself or one of his underlings, probably Mayorkas and probably Garland. I think Garland has uh, so far um, been proven proven to be the most corrupt. I think in the case of Mayorkas, it's more incompetence and more duplicity than outright corruption. But I think with in the case of Garland, I think there's much stronger case to be made of corruption um, against the DOJ and the um, the current Attorney General. Again, for all the reasons that I've mentioned, he's slow walked the investigation. He allegedly denied uh, Weiss um, the ability to appoint a special counsel. Um, so it'll be interesting to find out what happens and if any other whistleblowers come forth and cannot just prove what, uh, Weiss had said, cause that's only half of, I guess the charge that would be, but also you, you have to also prove that Garland lied under, under oath when he spoke to Congress and said, that uh, Weiss was never told no in, about any part of the investigation. And again, so we have two mutually exclusive claims. Um, the trick is to be to prove both sides of that to be the case. Um, but this is good. This is welcome news. And I hope this is pointing at a larger strategy uh, maybe a change in tactics, I guess, because, like I said, the more satisfying things, particularly if you're a conservative or Republican, the much more satisfying thing um, emotionally and viscerally would be go straight to impeaching Biden. But again, that's a, a, a tough nut to crack. Um, and actually, you can get more accomplished if you go... Um, after his underlings. Uh, first of all, let's, I would, the best strategy would be to go to lower hanging fruit. You know, whichever one, um, Mayorkas or Garland, at this point are the two leading candidates for impeachment besides Biden. You know, they should make a case against both of them and see which one has the better chance of succeeding. And then go with that one. Because what happens is that, you know, you have success build success. Now you have a pre precedent. And it's a lot easier, again, for Americans, even uh, Democrats or people who lean Democrat or people who lean left or, you know, or centrist Democrats, maybe not the left-leaning ones, um, to go along with the impeachment of underling that's that doesn't have quite the shock to the system to the american system 
and it's probably easier for them to digest and to get behind than the than the uh, impeachment of the president. While much more satisfying to some, is also much more dramatic and traumatic to the country as a whole, even if it's successful. And then, of course, you have the problem of like, well, who who succeeds the uh, the president? You know, who you know? Do you, do we really want uh, Kamala to uh, take over? Does anybody trust her with the reins of government? But that's the quandary we are in. But I think we are past the point of having to worry about uh, Kamala. And, we, you know, the right thing to do would be impeachment. Uh, but it, I think it is a better strategy, particularly at first, to go after uh, Biden's underlings. Because that addresses the problem head on. That takes care of a very corrupt politician uh, in my opinion, in the opinion of many of Merrick Garland, who's basically running interference for the president, he's basically uh, blocking, you know, he's serving to, uh, you know, protect the president um, at this point. And, and he seems to be doing so very corruptly. In it. And I think we can prove, we can make a case for the corruption of Merrick Garland. And so they'll either have to decide that lying to Congress is not an impeachable defense and, you know, do the Democrats want to set that precedent? Um, you know, after low, first of all, they lowered the bar really low for impeachment to begin with, with Trump. So they made that mistake. So they can't complain about really um, with a straight face about if we impeach the, the president or any of these people, they can't really complain with a straight face because they lowered the bar so low to bear, basically be non-existent. They basically had no cause for either impeachment under the Constitution. But that didn't stop them anyhow because they had the votes in Congress. So that didn't stop them either time. So they really can't complain on that basis that's unprecedented or, you know, because what are they going to say? Um, they've, they're the one who established this pattern. Um, yes, you could argue that the Republicans started it with Clinton, uh, President Bill Clinton, when they impeached him. Um, but really that had more of a legitimate charge that he lied. We could argue whether or not that rose to the level of impeachment. You know, lying under oath. Um, of course, the argument on the part of the Republicans was that Clinton did lie, and that was an impeachable offense. And the Democrats said no, and they weren't going to going to go along with it under any circumstances. So, so you you had that, but really, um, when we talk about lowering the bar for impeachable offenses. You're really talking about what the Democrats did uh, to President Trump with two very weak impeachments that didn't even raise uh, to the level of an impeachable offense. They can't name a high, high crime or misdemeanor, let alone a bribe, 
um, against Trump. But they, they, they didn't stop him. But here in this case, particularly with Garland, uh, I think you do have a high crime or misdemeanor, you know, lying to Congress. Um, so I think that's a little bit more serious. And the lie that he's told to Congress is a little bit more serious than what uh, President Clinton was accused of lying. You know, the little white lie about that, about, you know, what happened in that case. So you have a much more egregious offense here than in either of the last uh, president three presidential impeachments right here. And so I think it's a good strategy. And again, success breeds success. So you want to go first with your greatest challenge of success. You get that in established into the minds of the Americans. It's like, okay, we took out this person, Garland maybe. And so now when you go after, say, Mayorkas, it's less of a shock and they're more willing to go along with it. Um, at least supposedly, under my theory, at least. Um, it kind of desensitizes Americans to the idea of, yeah, okay, this is for real. This can really happen. Um, particularly if you can show some really egregious injustice. And I think you can show that, particularly in the case of Merrick Garland. Mayorkas is a little bit harder to prove. I think anybody, obviously, living in one of the border states has no problem with getting rid of Mayorkas. Um, but other people are going to be harder to convince, who's not, who are not, who don't feel themselves directly um, involved with the illegal immigration problem in this country. So, but they do, uh, you know, Americans do instinctively have, I think, a sense of fairness. And they know that, you know, when they see what happened to Trump versus what happened to Hunter and, and his father, that it's not even close. It's, they're not even being um, treated fairly. And so I think that uh, the case for uh, Merrick Garland, impeaching Merrick Garland, is a much easier one for the American people to swallow than maybe going right away for the big fish. And then, by the way, once you do that, you know, if you succeed in getting rid of Merrick Garland, then, again, it's all the easier if you want to go ahead and impeach, say, uh, President Biden. Because now you've established that Garland did an impeachable offense. He did it in the defense or at the behest of the president. So how is the president going to defend when his own uh, AG, his own attorney general, has been impeached successfully? How is... You know, that makes it all the harder, that would make it all the harder for Biden to launch um, an effective defense. Once the precedent of uh, Merrick Garland being impeached successfully, if that were to happen, to um, impeach him. That makes his defense all the harder because now you have someone who was impeached and in large part for protecting him. And so, 
you know, maybe Merrick Garland, in order to save his own skin, may want to turn kind of state's evidence against Biden. And so maybe, or maybe they make a, you know, if they feel like they have a strong enough case, maybe uh, Garland does some sort of a plea deal um, to to uh, go make GOP go after a bigger fish than him. Because after all, he wants to keep his job. But anyway, uh, he seems to be in trouble. We'll see where this goes. Um, you know, one would hope that I think this is a better strategy, really, than going straight for Biden. Um, and it ad- addresses the problem. Um, because Biden, we know, is corrupt and has been corrupt. But part of that corruption is involved with Merrick Garland uh, as attorney general. And so if you deal with that, that's kind of dealing with the problem. And now the next attorney general who would be appointed um, would have to think twice. You know, do I really want to go out on a limb and risk impeachment um, just to protect uh, President Biden and, and or his son. And so maybe you give the next attorney general uh, something more to think about. So um, there it is. Um, we will, that's something I think we will hear more and more about as the days go on um, with regards to this story. So I want to thank everybody for watching and or listening to the podcast. I hope the podcast, if you're just listening to it on Spotify or whatever, um, that it sounded better with my new headphones and also a microphone here, this setup. So, and also, you know, it, I think it has better sound quality. But um, let me know if you don't think so, if you think any part of the technical, technological aspect, technical aspect of this show is lacking, let me know. And uh, we'll try and fix it. So thank you all for watching and listening. If you've been following Liberty Relearned and or the Dystopic Journal, please continue. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things coming forward in this year. Uh, I think it's going to be with the impeachments and threats of impeachments and the um, everything else and with China and Russia. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, Russia, you know, nearly had a coup. Um, and so the uh, person of, I think it was, what's it called? The Azov Battalion or, or whatever, these mercenaries... They launched a QS, you know, we've heard that it was put down, but then you hear it kind of still is still going, and now the leader is going to Belarus. I don't know how long he will last in Belarus. Um, I know that, um, you know, he's probably uninsurable, all right, at this point, but we'll see what happens. That's a very interesting thing that's happening in Russia at this moment but that is all kind of speculation we we don't know um yet 
what will happen there. Maybe nothing will come of it. And maybe nothing will come of this impe impeachment talk. But some, th something has to. I mean, the American, the, the Republican voters are not going to stand for it. They've had enough. And they want to see action. And part of McCarthy becoming speaker uh, meant them him having to listen to that portion to, of his constituency. So we will see. But I think this is a good start. And I think that this is part of a good, better strategy than just going for the big fish um, all, you know, going straight for the top. Going, go for the underlings, you know, cut the legs out from underneath the, the president. Uh, those people who have been covering up, covering for him and covering up and uh, blocking for him. Um, particularly when they've done so with lying and cheating him, dishonesty and things like that, then they really need to go. Um, so this is good. Hopefully, um, this is not the last you hear about the impeachment of Mayor Garland. So again, uh, thank you who all who have watched and listened to the LR podcast at LR podcast on Getter and Liberty Relearned and have been following libertyrelearned.com online and Liberty Relearned on Facebook. So please uh, like and subscribe. And again, as usual, I will end with uh, until next time, stay healthy, happy, and free. Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to this Independence Day version of the show. And today, I want to talk about uh, how and why America became an exceptional country. Because um, most of us believe that America is an exceptional country. Uh, there are some who don't, but they're wrong. So let's talk about some of the things that makes America exceptional. Um, but in particular, I want to focus on more of the why America is exceptional. And I think America is exceptional because of her values. And so I want to talk about those values here. Um, about a year ago, I did an episode and I also wrote in the blog, um, let me relearn blog, uh, about the differences between the left and the right. And I listed them, and I'll go through them real quickly right now. Um, first, I'll start with what the left's uh, core value is, and then I'll um, talk about the corresponding core value on the right. So the left, socialism, communism, fascism. The right, capitalism. Left, death. Right, life. Left, Mob rule of elites, right, rule of law, consent of the governed. Left, speech codes, the right, free speech. The left, collectivism, the right, individualism. 
the left, government control of citizens, the right, citizen control of government, the left, authoritarianism, totalitarianism, the right, libertarianism, conservatism, the left, equality of outcome, the right, equality of opportunity, the left, state control of resources production, the right, private control of resources production, the left, rights stem from government, right, natural God-given rights, the left, victim mentality, right, personal responsibility, left, ends justify the means, right, ends in accords with the means, the left, feelings determine truth, right, truth stems from facts, left, utopia, and the right, civilization. As we celebrate another Independence Day, it's important to remember the core values of our forefathers. Uh, conservatism is all about conserving these principles. It should come as no surprise then that conservative values mirror those that our great nation were built upon. What are the core values of America? Here I listed the core values of the left versus those of the right. Notice something, each of the values of the right are also quintessential values of America. They are not just the values of the right, they are America's founding principles. America is great because of these values. And these values again are capitalism, life, rule of law, consent of the government governed, free speech, individualism, citizen control of government, libertarianism, conservatism, equality of opportunity, private control of resources production, natural God-given rights, personal responsibility, ends in accords with the means, truth stems from facts, and Western civilization. So when we look at these, we see in them the antithesis of many of the left's core values, which are, again, uh, socialism, communism, fascism, death via abortion and euthanasia, mob rule, rule of elites, speech codes, collectivism, government control of citizens, authoritarianism, totalitarianism, equality of outcome, State control of resources production, rights stem from government, victim mentality, and justify the means, feelings determine truth, and utopia. And so this is how the left and the right stack up against each other uh, with regards to their core value. <clears throat> and so also, these values of the left, this is what we would generally call wokeism, or these are the core values of wokeism. And on the right, we have the core values of conservatism. And I would say that America was founded upon uh, values now that we now consider to be on the right. Now, at the time that they were uh, created, that this country was founded, 
of course, these were would have probably been considered uh, very liberal. You know, this was a break with the old tradition of uh, authoritarianism, of kingship, of uh, people being subjects of their kings. And so America is unique in the respect that it was uh, founded upon an ideal, a series of ideals or an ideology. And these are, are pretty much the ones that I've mentioned. Uh, one could also uh, sum these up, maybe uh, also uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that all men were created equal under the eyes of God. And all men and all women uh, should receive equal justice under the law, that are all men and women are equal under the law. And so that's basically the founding principles. Now, of course, when this country was founded in 1776, um, those principles didn't yet apply to everybody equally, of course. But throughout time, uh, we fought uh, the Civil War for the rights of uh, blacks that were enslaved. And then we kept fighting for the rights of all people. And then, of course, in the early 20th century, you know, we um, fought for the rights of women. And, and there's uh, suffrage, women's suffrage and giving them the right to vote. Um, but essentially, everything now is in accords to what the founders wanted, or I would say the founders in their foresight created a system by which now everybody, all Americans are, are created and treated equally and are to be treated and seen as equals under law. And of course, we just had a recent a Supreme Court ruling, uh, one that strikes down all affirmative action as unconstitutional, which of course it is. It's not, it, you know, uh, giving uh, separate races uh, different ability or superior ability to enter a college or the workforce based upon exclusively their race. That is obviously not people who are equal under the law. That means that some people are better off uh, under the law than others. And so, um, you have through that Supreme Court decision, that re recent Supreme Court decision, reaffirming the equality of all American citizens. And of course, the left, um, um, you know, being for uh, things like collectivism and authoritarianism and, and specifically equality of outcome here. They're, they were against this um, repilation or refudiation of um, the, the idea that affirmative action is um, right or American. It is not in accordance to the American spirit or revolution. This is not what Americans fought for. They didn't fight for different races to be treated differently. 
and our subsequent development as a nation has not been um, towards that goal, towards that purpose. And so, but the point of my dissertation today is to talk about that these these principles are why uh, America is great. And America is not great despite having these principles. America is great because we have these principles. And so I want to uh, go through some of these uh, one at a time. Uh, first, we're going to start off with capitalism. Uh, the idea of free trade between people, um, consent, you know, we have this idea that you have to produce something of value that is of value to somebody else. And then you ask them for a just compensation. And so they pay for those things of value. Um, so that's the idea of capitalism is that it's a voluntary economic system uh, by which both sides have to gain something that they want. Uh, the person like buying a good, say I'm going to buy a refrigerator, um, they want the best refrigerator that they can get for their money. And of course the company that makes the refrigerator, they want that money so that uh, obviously the owners can make money, but also so that they can uh, pay their workforce and do things like develop new refrigerator features. And so each side um, gets uh, something that that they want out of the deal. And so this is just. Now the problem of course comes when we try and tinker with capitalism, when we try to put our thumbs on the scale for one side or the other. And that tends to, of course, to bring things out of balance, as we can see. Um, capitalism basically is really the only form for a free country. If a country is going to be free, that means it's it's uh, places great value on individual freedom. You have to have capitalism. You cannot have socialism or fascism or any other sort of uh, economic system but capitalism. All right. Uh, next being life. Um, we are uh, just past the one-year anniversary of the repilation of Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs decision. Uh, controversial decision, to be sure, but then the issue was always controversial. Um, because we believe that humans are, have a right to exist. And um, sometimes that right has to be protected for those who cannot do that themselves. And so, in some cases, that would happen to be the unborn child or somebody of advanced age, or uh, something like that, who cannot make good decisions on their own. Um, so we have to fight for their uh, right to live. And so we're generally against things like abortion and euthanasia. 
And I believe that uh, America is a blessed nation because of our support of the right to life. Uh, then we have the rule of law and, and consent of the government. Now that's been something that's been under attack, particularly these last few years, and it's been in the news cycle a lot recently in the form of you have two dueling um, legal, not battles, but two dealing, uh, um, dueling uh, situations. One with regards to Hunter Biden and his father, Joe Biden, the president. And on the other side, you have the treatment of Donald J. Trump uh, by Merrick Garland's uh, DOJ. And there's a lot to suggest that Merrick Garland, in his handling of matters and his handling of the Department of Justice, has not been even-handed. He has not um, followed the rule of law. He has not um, been a proponent of the idea that all men are, you know, all people, all citizens are equal under the law, in the eyes of the law. Um, he believes in a two-tiered, as the Democrats do, a two-tiered justice system where you have justice for me, but not for thee. Okay. They believe that people like Hillary Clinton, um, Hunter Biden, and, and Joe Biden deserve special treatment above what anybody else who doesn't think like them should get. And they believe that people who don't think like them shouldn't get that same treatment, like Donald J. Trump or General Flynn, um, as a couple of examples. They don't believe that those people deserve that treatment because they believe that they are people with bad ideas. You know, they're, they're not just uh, people who have bad ideas, but these are bad people with ideas. And so uh, Merrick Garland's um, under the direction, I believe, of uh, Biden, his DOJs operate under that principle where certain people um, have superior um, rights than others uh, when it comes to the law. All right. And then there's the, the idea of the consent of the governed, where you remember a couple of years ago, the government wanted to do all of these mass mandates, force people to wear masks and get vaccinated. These are not things that a lot of us consented to. Um, we said, no, we don't want to wear masks. You haven't proven your case that masks will do any significant amount of good, certainly worth making us wear them. Um, so we do not consent to this edict that we all have to wear masks. And so that is the consent of the government which is opposed to like mob rule or the rule of the elites, you know, the rule of the experts, which the left believes in. They believe in, you know, they have their, their science, quote unquote, um, that shows them that you have to wear a mask. And so they want to force that upon others. And we believe, now some of us believe that, hey, there's other science out there that suggests maybe it's not necessary. 
And then, of course, even more so came with the lockdowns. We believe that, you know, the lockdowns were uh, unfair and unjust and unnecessary. Um, But mob rule or the rule of the elites suggested otherwise. And so we had to go through a period um, back in 2020 where we were under lockdown and only certain people could go to work and you had all of these problems uh, that still we're, we're facing the ramifications today, particularly with regards to education, children not getting the proper education and socialization that goes with it. Um, so this is something that they did without the consent of the governed. And of course, when you do not believe that you have the consent of the government, you have to um, go to the authoritarian or totalitarian mode and make people do things. Uh, and that's in particular when you don't believe that you have the consent of government, you have to go into the authoritarian mode. All right, next we believe in free speech. Of course, that played out um, over the last few years. Of course, once again, in regards to COVID, some things could be suggested and some things could not be suggested. And of course, whatever the ruling elites uh, like Dr. Fauci wanted and, and Joe Biden, whatever they wanted, um, that's what you were allowed to say. You were not allowed to give any views that were contrary to the narrative that the one side was putting out, the authoritarian uh, side was putting out. And so that goes hand in hand with authoritarianism is the denial of free speech. And of course, you also have the deplatforming of parlor and other uh, social media outlets. Uh, you have interference of free speech, what like what happened with the um, with the Hunter Biden laptop story uh, before Twitter was under Elon Musk. It was not as free as it is now. And so that story of Hunter Biden's laptop was squashed. And we know now that the FBI was behind that squashing of that uh, story, that very important story that popped up just before the election in 2020. Uh, then we have individualism. Um, you know, the left bl- bl- uh, believes in collectivism, that everything has to be done for the good of the collective. And the individual rights are subservient to the collective. The needs of the individual are subservient to the needs of the collective. But there is no, the problem is that there is no person um, to determine who determines what the public good is, for instance. Um, so you have a problem with that. Individualism says that you or I get to make decisions for ourselves. They should be uh, based upon rational thought. They should not be irrational decisions. But we should be allowed, afforded the chance to make them, even if that means we're making mistakes. We should be allowed the chance to uh, make our mistakes. And also succeed if we happen 
uh, to get lucky or, or be fortunate uh, or correct. Um, citizen control of government. Um, that's another thing that made this country right is or, or made this country great is that the citizens uh, are supposed to ideally control the government. That is, a, it's a government of, by, and for the people. And so that has served us pretty well, and we think it will continue to, to serve us well into the, the future. That we, we want the right to do what we think is best for ourselves and our family. We don't want the government interfering with our personal business. They don't want us telling us where we can bank or um, what school that we can send our kids to or what kind of curriculum kids have to have. Um, you know, a lot of, ha a lot of this has to do with parental choice in, in education. Um, nowadays, that's where the kind of the individualism focus is. And also, it stems off into like the rights, um, right to bear arm and the right to the freedom of your own religion. Again, as one sees fit, and as not as the government sees fit. Now, remember, the government uh, during COVID decided that it was not in the collective's best interest if you went to church, and a lot of us said that no, uh, spiritual um, development doesn't go away just because there's some sort of disease. And that with the accommodations being made that we agree to do and the safety steps that we agree upon, that we should have the allow, be allowed the right to freedom of assembly, freedom of religion. And of course, as I mentioned, the left didn't see it that way. They said that the rights of the collective uh, were more important, and your individual right to uh, practice your religion was not as important, and that right was denied to us in many cases during the COVID-19 uh, situation. Um, so you have citizen control of government, um, you know, that's and libertarianism and conservatism, we kind of talked about that before. That Those are the basis of this country's development. Libertarianism, of course, the idea that people should be at liberty. If what you're doing or what I'm doing is not interfering with what you want to do, then I should be allowed to do it and vice versa. You should be allowed to do what you want to do as long as it's not harming me. And so that's the idea, basic idea of libertarianism. And conservatism means perpetuating those liberties and those ideas, those, um, those core values that our founding fathers had. The, the core values that our uh, nation was founded upon, conservatism is about preserving those things and not going off in some direction like the left wants to go and make this a very different sort of country. Uh, equality of opportunity. Again, that speaks to this decision about 
uh, affirmative action. You know, if you and I want to go to a school and my test scores and my academic achievements are greater than yours, I should have a superior access to that, that school than people who have not uh, done as well as I have. And conversely, that means that I, you know, if I'm not where I want to be with my grades or my SAT scores, um, I have to try a little harder if I want to get into a particular school. You know, I may have to decide that I'm going to have to try a little harder or maybe uh, go into a different field of study where I can uh, be a little bit better at. Um, you know, maybe, you know, everyone in my family is a doctor, so I'm going to medicine school. I'm not interested. My heart's not in it. But I can do really well um, learning how to be a lawyer in legal school in law school. So, you know, in some cases, it's just your aptitude. Your aptitude is what it is. Some of it is your drive, how willing you're willing to work for that um, superior school. And then a lot, some of it is just, you know, luck. You know, you were, you were born into the right family and then you had the genetics for it and you're a little bit, your IQ is a little bit higher than the next guys. And so, but if you're on a uh, equal playing field, level playing field, and you have superior drive, effort, and natural ability, that you should be able to go to a wider range of schools, opportunity for that. And that's what equal opportunity or um, affirmative action or or um, repealing of affirmative action does. It makes it so that is a meritocracy, though, so that it returns education back to a state of meritocracy. Okay. And so that's one, one example of equal equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome, because not everybody is created equal. And so Understanding that some people are going to get better results than others in certain endeavors. And then meanwhile, someone who's not as smart as I am won't get into, like, the medical school. They might be you know, a fantastic athlete and they can have a career in pro sports or something like that. And things that I can't dream of doing or wish only wish I could do. So sometimes we have offsetting uh, abilities that we are gifted with. And so we need the equal footing, that equal starting point or to be treated equal so that we can rise to the top of our chosen profession or, or vocation. Um, so you can see how denying people that right. If I have a superior academic, um, record or ability, I should be able to go to a superior school, a more demanding school academically. And so I should have that opportunity. Um, so that's what equality of opportunity is about, uh, particularly nowadays. Um, of course, it's more than just that, but that's like what's been in the news lately. All right. Uh, private control of resources production. 
This, of course, comes down to uh, you know a lot of the climate change things um, has to do with the private control versus the public control of resources and production. Now, of course, communism and socialism is state control of resources, state ownership of the resources and production. And so another, in other, in, um, I don't know, in, in trying to, start again. Okay, so sorry about that. Uh, sometimes our thoughts um, don't match our, our words and are, they're not in accord. And so we have to uh, find a way of giving um, words to our thoughts. And so sometimes you know, the brain, part of the brain is moving at the speed and the other part's moving at, at not such a, a high speed. And there's such, such a mismatch. Um, so, but I think what I'm trying to say uh, with regards to private control of resources and production is that the left and the socialists in their aims, in their ambition to make America a socialist country wants to seize the means of production and have great control over the pr production and resources. And one way to do that is to convince people um, because of climate change catastrophe that they're predicting that they must, that the private individual must cede control over of those resources over to the collective, over to the experts who are, who want to be in charge. So they want to move us from a capitalist system to a socialist system. And part of their way of doing that, part of their, or their strategy is to convince people that there's a climate change crisis and that there's going to be a huge disaster uh, coming if we don't uh, change our amount of carbon that we, we put out and things like that. And so they want to dictate whether or not you can use fossil fuels, whether or not you can have a gas stove or a gas-powered car, or whether you have an electric stove or an electric car. And so they want to control, they want to micromanage how we use our resources. And that, of course, is also a hallmark of fascism, the micromanagement of the control of a state's resources. That's also a big uh, component of fascism. All right, so next is natural, God-given rights. Um, that's the idea that our rights are given from God, that the government's job is not to give us our rights, that we ha already have rights, that the government's job is to protect our rights from those who would take it or protect our rights from themselves, from them, you know, it's the whole idea of the Bill of Rights in the Constitution is that tells the government what it cannot do with regards to taking your rights. And so you, you have um, the idea of natural God-given rights um, that you already have. You're born with the right 
to free speech and the right to freedom of religion and things like that. These are God-given rights and that the proper role of government is to protect those rights, not to dole them out as they see fit and make them into privileges, but to keep them as actual rights. Um, a lot of our, you know, a lot of the revolution was fought over this um, central theme of the American Revolution. Um, so personal responsibility, um, the idea, and again, uh, another good example of the news and from recent Supreme Court ruling that struck down President Biden's uh, student loan payback scheme where he basically supersedes the power of the legislature to do, to determine how money is to be spent. Um, the the uh, Supreme Court said, no, you are not the legislature. You do not have the right to tell people how uh, to decide how the, the taxpayer dollars are going to be spent. If you want to eliminate things like student loan debt, you have to do that through legislation. Um, and of course, since they can't convince people to do that because it's a bad idea, it's unfair, um, they tried to get around that through executive order, through uh, presidential fiat, and the Supreme Court just recently struck that down with regards to, to student loan because people... Basically, it's a matter of fairness. If I didn't agree to that loan and I didn't need that loan or didn't want that loan or didn't take it or paid my loan off, why should I pay for yours? Because you wanted to make a certain decision a certain way. I should not have to pay for your decision. Um, so that's personal responsibility. I took out the loan. It's my responsibility to pay that loan. Um, ends in accord with the means. Now, the left believes that the ends justify the means. And, of course, because their programs are going to be so great that they think that um, they have seized on socialism and communism and fascism, uh, you know, any form of collectivism as the way and of course, part of that, you ha can't have socialism or any of those things without authoritarianism and really without totalitarianism. So that's, that's, but they think that is the way they see a company like or a country like communist China, uh, see what they do with their social credit system. And they think this is the direction we want to go in. Um, and we believe that if we can people, if we can get people going in that, that direction, it's going to be so fair and people are going to be so great. Uh, it's certainly going to be great for them, right? They're going to be the ones on top, the intellectuals and the, you know, the elites. They're going to, you know, the uh, Klaus Schwab's of the world. They're going to be the ones on top in, in their minds, at least, ruling things. So, of course, they have no objection to the authoritarianism because they not, they're not going to have to worry about the authoritarianism because they're going to be the authoritarians. And so they're not worried about that. And they're not worried about uh, having to pay the consequences of any of their edicts because they have enough money where they're immune to like the inflation, the, the inflationary 
uh, things that are going to happen um, there. So the they believe that socialism is a great thing that should be instituted in some sort of way. Again, socialism or uh, fascism or communism or some sort of totalitarian uh, system. They think that's the way because they know better than you. They are the experts and you're just an ordinary pleb and shut up and listen to them and do what they say and everything will be fine. Um, and they, because they they can trample on your rights, they can have a two-tiered justice system, even though it's completely antithetical to any you know the American way. Um, they don't care about equal equality of opportunity. They want equality of outcome. You know they don't care about God-given rights. They don't care that you want to go to church and that you don't want to be locked in your house for two months, not allowed to work. They don't care about that. Um, because they, in their mind, they believe that they know better than you, the average person. And they believe that the ends justify the means. And so if you have to trample on someone's rights, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, as the saying goes. And so the ends justify the means for the left. In this country, though, this country was founded upon the idea, um, and with the core value that the ends must be in, in accord with the means, meaning that you the means have to be a just means. You can't just say that the ends are going to be so great that we can do anything to achieve those ends. Our value system must be, we must have act in integrity to our value system every, every step of the way. We cannot uh, ignore our values in one place because we think we're going to get to a better place later on. You know, we cannot um, deny people equal opportunity or uh, private control of production goods. We cannot deny people their God-given rights because we think somewhere down the road there's going to be some benefit to that. That's not the American way. That's not what America was founded upon. And then truth stems from the facts. Um, that doesn't mean that your you know emotions are inconsequential or don't matter. That's sort of a, a mistake, a, a a trap that some conservatives fall in that they don't recognize that hey, people feel the same way. They have an emotional connection to that thought or that idea that they believe in that they those things that they want. And we do too. Um, but you cannot just discount thoughts or, or feelings, you know, feelings are, they're, they're real feelings. And so they have to be counted into the equation. Um, but that doesn't mean that you change the facts to suit your feelings. You cannot do that because in the end, you cannot, there's no way to make a rational decision if you do not have objective facts or the most objective facts possible. You know, rational action is impossible when you're dealing strictly on uh, with feelings. You have to have uh, objective reality. You have to have objective morality and objective reality. 
in order to have make a rational decision on anything. You have to have some sort of objective criteria in which to base uh, success or failure, the progress of whatever it is that you want to do. And so while you cannot ignore feelings altogether, uh, rational behavior demands having uh, the most objective facts available. And, this, and so that's what we believe. And then Western, Western civilization, uh, as opposed to utopia. And again, America is great because it is basically a culmination of several thousand years of Western civilization, of Western thought, of our Judeo-Christian values, of our legal system that kind of stems from the um, the Roman Empire. You know, they gave us the basis of our legal system. Um, the idea of uh, representative democracy and republic. And, of course, you have the Athenian Greek idea of logos, right? The uh, idea of logic controlling your action and your philosophy based upon a give and take, a kind of dialect, um, kind of using, like, for example, the Socratic method of asking questions to get to the truth or to get to the true core value that is in place. And so that all of our Western philosophy that comes from Athenian Greek philosophy and from the Judeo-Christian religious tradition and from the Roman tradition of legal system and e pluribus unum and a lot of those things um, all together that form uh, a unique civilization that's different than Eastern civilization or African civilization or South Asian civilization. That's not to say that there's no value in any of those other civilizations. Uh, a lot can be learned, for example, from the Eastern uh, mindset or the Eastern way of doing things or Eastern philosophies. A lot of that can be integrated into what we want to accomplish here in the West. And the same can be said from, you know, uh, certain African or other, you know, South American. Now they have kind of their own little sub uh, group there. It's based on Western civilization, but it's also based on their culture that comes from their American Indian culture in South America, their Native American culture in South America. So that's a mesh of kind of different, uh, two different civilizations. And so that's not to say that the civilizations don't have value, but we are living in Western civilization. You know, you listen to Western civil, Western music, uh, you're speaking probably a European language, probably English, and you, your Western literature uh, consists of Shakespeare and um, Cervantes and um, Dumas. That is all comes together to form Western civilization 
in the literary realm. And then you have Picasso and Monet and Mondrian um, to uh, create our Western civilization with regards to the fine arts. And, and then in other, in other areas, you know, you have Michelangelo with sculpture, you know, and his influence and also in art too, and Leonardo da Vinci and all of these greats that uh, combine their talents and their thoughts and philosophies in, into creating what is an ongoing, evolving civilization that we call Western civilization. And it is different and distinct than other civilizations that than you know ancient Greek civilization or Mesopotamian civilization or you know the ancient Aztecs or anything or the samurai of Japan. You know, we have our own distinct civilization that has is more and more an amalgam of different civilizations, but also has its own distinct roots in Rome, Athens, and Jerusalem. And those are the kind of three main pillars of our of our um, civilization. And that produces every, all of the fruit of that comes, you know, you have da, da Vinci and Michelangelo and Monet and Debussy and Eric Clapton. These are all people who are products of Western civilization. Um, and sometimes good, bad, or ugly uh, can be, but that's what we live in today. And the left is counter-Western civilization. They want their aim ultimately is to destroy Western civilization and builds their utopia out of the ashes. That there's That's their ultimate goal on the left. But with um, Western civilization, we'll just kind of wind this up with that. You also have the thoughts of like Adam Smith, um, who's called the father of capitalism. And you, you have other uh, enlightenment thinkers um, like uh, Hobbes and... Uh, others and Rousseau and others, you know, people that the founding fathers would have read and would have tried to understand. And Locke, of course, you know, John Locke being another major source of our um, rights. You know, he was a big proponent of natural rights, of course, building that into our constitution. That's where we get our ideas. For You know, the founding fathers got their ideas was mainly through um, the Enlightenment thinkers of that age, so like uh, John Locke and also uh, Adam Smith and those people who came together, and um, you know, you know Francis Bacon and others um, to create this whole um, stitch together this um, out of what had been to what could be. Uh, which was the America that they were trying to build. That's not too complicated. I know I get kind of get off on kind of a tangent there, or kind of you know a little bit of a I don't know rant or something there.
hopefully you, you got that and got the message um, that is through the Enlightenment thinkers that were themselves product of the Judeo-Christian values and the Western civilization that we had the Enlightenment thinkers that created, that influenced our founding fathers who created this country. And those are where I, our ideals come from. And so I'm just going to sum it up in this. The right is all about conserving all these ideals. Um, in short, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal in the eyes of God. And all citizens are equal under the law. And that's basically the, um, in a nutshell, that's what all these other rights I've been talking about um, basically mean to us. Um, and they come from our founding documents. And so on the 4th of July, we celebrate the founding of these, of our country along these lines and with these core values. Our country was founded with these core values in mind. And so that's what we celebrate our Independence Day. And that's what I believe and many believe made our country great is because we stuck to those values and because we were born upon an idea and not a language or an ethnic group we were or religion that we were born upon with a series of ideas in mind and we strive for that ideal um makes us strive farther and reach higher than maybe people who are just limited and that's it they're they're born you know their nation is based upon everybody speaking the same language and you know and that's it for them and that's all that they need um americans aspire to something greater um, that's not to put down, there's been a lot of great, of course, French and American and Spanish and Japanese and Chinese thought leaders throughout the ages. But I think I would submit to you that the American founders got it right. And they put us on, even though they didn't get it exactly right with regards to all of the human rights at the time, they put us on a course so that we could achieve eventually uh, the meaning of our creed. And so that is what we celebrate this week, uh, particularly on the 4th of July, when we commemorate um, signing up Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia in 1776. And so that's what we celebrate. And these are my ideas um, that we we believe, the conservatives believe are worth preserving worth conserving and that's why we are conservatives is because we follow these original beliefs and then we try to improve upon them and and develop them as best we can and i think that's the idea of american of america is that we take these beliefs and we develop them further and to reach closer and closer to that ideal that is America. And I know that's pretty profound, so I might have to write that down. But anyway, um, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you all for watching and listening 
to Liberty Relearn. Hopefully you get something out of this podcast each and every week, or even if you just once in a while, um, I accidentally um, spit out something of use to you. You know, whatever way uh, makes this of value to you and that you keep back, coming back and listening to the podcast and watching the podcast on um, Rumble, especially, and also on um, Spotify, um, as hopefully you will. I want to thank you for watching and listening to Liberty Relearn. Also, I want to thank those who follow the dystopic journal, a little offshoot of Liberty Relearn, and following libertyrelearn.com online and Liberty Relearn on Facebook and at LR Podcast on Getter. And so in the spirit of the season, I want you all, I wish you all will stay healthy, happy, and free.